you're listening to All Things True. I'm your host, Cody B. Um, when I decided to interview Spencer and, and Rachel, I, I did not realize the things I would learn from this uh, interview as opposed to the last two interviews we did on addiction recovery. Um, Rachel and Spencer are, are two recovering addicts who didn't go to a Christian rehab facility. They were able to become sober using uh, local AA and Narcotics Anonymous meetings. They actually met together um, at at recovery meetings and formed a relationship and got married and now have three wonderful, beautiful kids. I, I just wanted to share this because I know there's a lot of people out there who don't want to go to a rehab facility because of job, because of employment, because of income. And I want you to know there's more than one way to become clean, but all of them, from what I've learned so far, are because of the cross, are because of Jesus, and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the episode. listening all things true i'm your host cody b as we're winding down on, on season four we're going to do one more this is our last episode on on addiction recovery and as always if you have any questions you can email them to uh, c bradford at northside c of c dot info that's c bradford at northside c of c dot info and today i have two very special guests um they they are part of the backbone that makes up our addiction recovery ministry here here at here at northside um, and I'm here with, with Spencer and, and Rachel Davis. How are y'all doing today? Good. Doing good. Doing good. Um, is this y'all's first time ever be on a podcast? Yes. Mm-hmm. What's it like so far? Uh, a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, basically. Don't be nervous. We're just talking. And, you know, by the time this airs, that by, that, by the time the sun goes down that day, dozens of people would have heard y'all. So, I mean, y'all, you teach you teach more on, on Sunday morning probably to listen to my podcast. I don't know about teach. <laughs> I get to talk to maybe more, but yeah. Um, so, what 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 they are is is they're they're the ones who teach our. You said you don't teach. Are you the teacher in the mm. Sunday morning Bible class? No, uh, I simply was basically the guy that just got the wheels going, but. We have a different person come up with a topic every week, and uh, so, and we call it chairing. But yeah, so every, every week someone different will be kind of leading it. And what it is, it's it's the Sunday morning Bible class. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for those in addiction recovery. Um, so why did we already had a you know a Monday night um, meeting? I guess here at Northside. Why mm-hmm. why do you why did you want the Sunday morning class too. 
Well, do you want to take that? So the Monday night meeting is specifically for people in recovery, um, the addicts and the alcoholics. The Sunday group um, is open. So Monday is closed, Sunday is open. Anybody can come. If you have a family member in addiction, you can come. If you're in addiction, you can come. If you want to know about addiction, you can come. It, it's all-inclusive. It's open on Sundays, but not on Mondays. Yeah. And then also Sundays is purely faith-based. Mm-hmm. Um, we, talk, we implement God into our meeting. And Mondays we do that as well, but not as much. It's more AA. Mm. If that makes sense. Why is it important? Or why is it important to you to have an open and a closed meeting? Because the truth is, is um, we need healing and we need recovery as well, us being in addiction and alcoholism. But the people on the other side of that, the people we've hurt, our loved ones, usually our family, like my dad or my mom, they need healing too from the absolute tornado and chaos I was. Um, and so when we have a open meeting where we can invite everyone, they get to see our side of the story and, and we get to hear their side of the story. So there's a lot more understanding that comes with keeping the meeting open and allowing everybody to come. So y'all are both recovering addicts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, man, how do I ask this? And, you know, I, I, the rule was... If, if there's something you don't want to answer, you don't have to. Um, how did your road to recovery begin? Throughout high school, um, I didn't ever have a sip of alcohol. Um, I dabbled in uh, smoking weed a couple of times my senior year. And then when I got to college, I found alcohol and uh, kind of leaned into it real hard. And it, it, it was not gradual. I <laughs> went to the wall immediately and um, but I always thought it was a phase in college like everyone's drinking everyone's doing it it's just normal and then when I saw my friends starting to graduate and move on with their lives and I'm still sitting there drinking myself blackout every night I was like okay this maybe maybe this is a problem and uh, I kind of rode that road out for a while Um, and what's crazy is so I had man there's so much to tell so basically, I rode that road out for a while, and uh, I just got to this point where um, I never thought that recovery wasn't or uh, sobriety was an option, um, and I had lost all hope that I could have that and that it was a reality. But it got to a point where um, I was tired of where I was at. And I thought being miserable sober for the rest of my life was worth it if I could just stop drinking. And so when I reached that point, um, I actually got honest for the first time, told my dad it was bad and at breakfast. And then he got me in touch with somebody that goes to AA. And then she got me in touch with my current sponsor now. And kind of the rest is history. That's a super, I mean, I could talk for hours about my whole story. But that's kind of the condensed version. Um, why did you choose a AA and recovery meetings instead of a, a rehab facility? Sure. So it 
I really didn't consider rehab at first. Um, I think if if I had gotten into AA and nothing was getting better, that that would have became became a option or recommendation. But basically, um, I mentioned my sponsor. Um, I won't say his full name, but his his name's Walter. And when I got in contact with Walter, um, I just did whatever he said. I mean, if he told me, and I'll say this in meetings, if he told me to go out in the street, jump up and down, take my hat off and rub my belly while doing it and singing the national anthem, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Um, because I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I, and I, and I was saying this in a meeting the other night, like I, I burned all my bridges before. I had lost all hope and I had I'd came to this understanding that I have no idea what I'm doing in life and my thinking got me where I was so when I came into AA I came in um, absolutely willing to do whatever it took and then with an absolute open mind so whatever that man told me to do I did and what he told me to do was go to a meeting every single day for this foreseeable future and uh, call him every single day and then he said when you wake up in the morning make your bed and then uh, say God go, and get on my knees and say God go with me because without you I'm screwed and then he said shut up after that he was like because anything after that you're gonna start getting into selfish stuff he was like just say that and then go to a meeting and then at night thank him for keeping you sober and uh, so I, I did that and man two weeks later when I was two weeks sober, um, it was just like, wow. I never trusted God. I, I, I would have told you I did, but I never really did. Um, and that was kind of an aha moment. That two weeks later, I can remember just thinking to myself, wow, this stuff works. And uh, so I've just been rinsing and repeating that pretty much ever since. I still go to meetings. Um, to be honest, I don't make my bed that much, but uh, I do hit my knees. I do pray and go to meetings. And do you still say the same prayer? Yeah. I say a little bit more now, but yeah. it always starts off with, go with me because I'm screwed without you. Go with me because I'm screwed without you. All right. My question is, why make the bed? What What was the purpose? The purpose of that is um, when, when you're fresh, get... Fresh getting sober, uh, basically you accomplish nothing every single day. I mean, nothing at all. So, and when you get sober, you're going to have rough days. And so making your bed when you first get up, you've accomplished something. And at the end of the day, let's say you are a butthole again, or this or that, or it's a rough day. At least at the end of the day, you can say, I accomplished something. I did something. That's cool. That's really powerful. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's reinforcing the, or re, what, what what are you saying, Rachel? I thought you were saying something. Oh, no. Oh. No. <laughs> but it's it's reinforcing the, the dopamine receptors to, you know, to get, to launch and hit when you accomplish something positive and not just when you're indulging. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, what's your story, Rachel? So, um, my addiction, I wouldn't say my, the physical dependency on it started when I first started using drugs and alcohol because I was in middle school. Um, and it was just every now and then when I could get my hands on it because I was in middle school, it was a little harder to get, but easier than it should have been, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, 
it wasn't an everyday thing until high school, really junior high. Um, I was either high on weed or high on pills in ninth grade every single day. Um, by 10th grade, I had moved on to a little bit stronger stuff, um, a lot of coke, and then towards the end of the year, I started using meth, and it was very... What, what grade was this? 10th grade, and then I did that. It, it, what the, from the first time I smoked meth... It was a whole different world. I was not sober for a minute for the next two and a half years. Um, not at all. I d it, it was the insanity that I went through to stay high was exhausting. Um, not a lot of people come back from that, so very thankful. Um, but my mom found out, obviously, because I was living at home. I was underage. I was on meth. She's going to find out. She found out and she tried different things to help me get sober and like she put me in a behavioral institution a couple times or more than a couple times quite a few times um it didn't work she made me go to the thursday night meeting that we talk about so i didn't get sober and i know that the purpose or the reason for that is because I wasn't putting the work in. I wasn't ready to get sober, so I wasn't gonna get sober. I didn't want to. It was still fun to me. Um, mm. But I am thankful uh, that she made me go to the behavioral institutions and the Thursday night meeting because, you know, I turned 18. I moved out the day I turned 18, actually at midnight. I already had my car packed, took off and left, went to a dope house. Um, and I lived there for a little while. Mm. Because I didn't have anybody in my ear about, you know, you don't need to be doing this when I'm at the dope house. Everybody's doing it. But um, it took a minute for me to find it miserable for it to kind of start taking its toll. Uh, I did snap back in. I don't know if I'd use that phrase. I, I hit my rock bottom and became willing and surrendered to God before pretty early on um, and when when that happened when I did not want to live the way that I had been living anymore I knew where to go because my mom had made me go to the Thursday night meeting if that makes sense it does it's like I wasn't ready for it then but I knew when I am ready it'll work so when I was ready I went back and I wasn't perfect it didn't you know, I didn't go to a meeting and I got fixed. I relapsed once after, I want to say, three months of being sober. Mm -hmm. I relapsed. And um, I think I was out for one day. And I realized that that was when I snapped back. I was like, I don't. I don't want this. I don't want, I'm going to end up homeless or overdosed where somebody's going to throw my body behind a gas station where, you know, and, like this is miserable um, or I'm going to end up in prison and none of those options sounded good so um, I, I could there's so many so many ways I could go with this conversation I, I want to start with 
I have a lot of parents listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. So so I want to ask you, as you know, you said you were in middle school. Is there anything your parents could have done to prevent you from getting a hold of? I don't think so. I've had a lot of parents ask me that. Um, when I tell you I was going to do what I wanted to do, I was going to do it. And nobody could have said or done anything to stop me. Um, and that's kind of hard for some parents to hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's terrifying. Yeah. You mean I can't stop this from happening if I just really want to? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Well, Spencer, I've heard Spencer put it this way before. I think God allowed me to be an addict because I would not be this close to him if I wasn't. Mm. I never needed him like I need him now. And Yeah, because you start to question, like, why, why, did, why am I an alcoholic? Why can I sit here and watch people drink and be totally okay? Like, my dad can have a drink and then switch to water. <laughs> my mind is blown. I don't... You can just have one and put it down and switch. That doesn't make sense to me. So I can sit here and watch people do that. And it's and you start to question, like, why am I an alcoholic? But for me, for me, I've landed on that, you know, I wouldn't be as close to God as I am now. I wouldn't know that I needed him to the depth that I know I need him now. And I think that's why he allowed me to yeah. be the way I am. Allowed me to go where I wanted to go. If I have any advice for parents who know that their kids are falling into addiction, get into Al-Anon. That's basically like the support group for people who have loved ones in addiction. And I'm not in Al-Anon, so I don't know um, everything about it. I do know that it's learning how to be okay even when your addict's not okay Mm -hmm. and that is important because you know spencer's not having a good day that can't affect me i I can't have a bad day too just because of you know spencer um Mm -hmm. my emotions should not depend on someone else Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and in the previous episode we did um and for those who are listening to this episode and, and haven't heard the previous two on addiction recovery. Um, it, it was the episode entitled um, Nothing Changes Until Something Changes. I did with, with Laura Mays where she went into a lot more of, of uh, really, I guess it's uh, family support group, family and friends of addict support group stuff um, where she talked about Alan on there. Um, so... Now, if I ask something I'm not supposed to ask, tell me. I'm not very smart. Um, from from your story, you you also didn't go to a rehab facility, right? Or a Christian rehab facility? No. To get clean or to get sober? Not when I wanted to get sober. Um, when I was a minor, still living at my mom's house, she put me in mainly just one but it was multiple times and it never worked not saying that rehabs don't work I know it didn't work because I didn't want it to work Mm -hmm. at the time Um, and I even when I was high and I went to the Thursday night meeting um, I 
heard things that I could relate to um, from what other people were talking about, you know, sharing their experiences. I could relate, and that I never got that feeling in the, I guess you could say rehab. It's a behavioral institution, but that involves addiction, I guess. Um, when I went to the rehab, that it just didn't seem like that was what God was calling me for. Um, when I wanted to get sober, I wanted to go back to the Thursday night meeting. And like Spencer said, if I went to the Thursday meeting or any meeting and I was putting the work in, um, the big part, if I was putting the work in and it wasn't working, I would have gone. But when I, when I put two feet in and I wasn't dipping my toes in the water, it worked, mm-hmm. you know. It was like, I fully surrender to God. I've never done this before. I will do whatever God wants me to do. And that's an everyday thing. You know, I wake up every morning, and that is my perspective on life. And it, it has worked. That's not everyone's story. Um, there's a lot of success with rehab. There's a lot of success without rehab. We all get to the same point where we ultimately rely on God for our sobriety. And, um, and a big thing that we see um, is if, if, I, if we do go to rehab and we come out, if we don't stay plugged into recovery, nine, nine times out of ten we're going to lose it. I've got to stay plugged in. I've got to. Rehab is a bubble, and that's great. But when I get outside of the bubble, I've got to stay plugged into rehab or to uh, recovery um, that's why I still go we still go to meetings um, I will probably I hope I go to meetings for the rest of my life I've got to put my butt in that seat and talk about the same thing over and over and listen to the same thing from everyone else over and over for it to work why <coughs> excuse me no you're fine because I've got, we say it in group, I've got a good forgetter. Because if I don't talk about the same things, I forget them. And if I forget that I can't handle one drink, I might start to think that I can. And then i got to go do some more research. Got to go see if I can handle it again, which I won't be able to. Then I'll be right back in meetings. So I'm going to skip the, the extra research and just stay in meetings. What would y'all say to family members who want to get their loved ones out of the out of out of addiction and into recovery? Um, I would say be careful with that because in my experience, yeah. if the addict is not ready, the family member is going to drive themselves literally crazy trying to fix them. Mm-hmm. If the addict doesn't want to be fixed, they're not going to be fixed. And it's hard to hear, but you've got to learn to be okay. Not just be okay with that, but you have to be okay. Yeah, ultimately my parents can't control what I do. Um, so to say that there's something that they can do to get them out of the pit 
it goes along with the fact that they can't do anything. They didn't do anything to put them in the pit. Yeah. So they can't do anything to get them out of the pit. Now, I say can't do anything. They can pray. Absolutely, they can pray. But until that person is absolutely ready to come out of the pit, they're not coming out. And, and we see and we talk about um, enabling. Yeah. If, if my... So I've got three kids. If one of my kids is was in a, a he's two and a half, so he's not in addiction yet. If he's gonna be, but uh, let's say he is, and um, I start enabling, I'm like, oh, he, you know, I'm gonna let him stay here, or you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, he didn't have any money because he spends all his money on drugs, so I'm gonna buy him some lunch. You know, he looks hungry, I'm gonna buy him some lunch. Well, what I'm doing is I'm not letting him hit the bottom of the well. I'm not letting him hit his rock bottom. And without a sufficient rock bottom, he's never going to know that he needs to be sober. So as hard as it sounds, the best thing that we've seen uh, that a support person can do is walk away. That's what worked for me. Um, My mom had to walk away uh, and put up some really harsh boundaries because obviously I was living in a dope house. Like... That needed to happen. Um, and I know that it was hard for her to do that, but I don't think I would have gotten sober if she hadn't. Because if I had this safety net that's catching me from hitting the bottom every time, it's not going to hurt when I fall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I'm just going to bounce right off the net and go, you know, keep going. Um, and so it, it does hurt. I have friends that. You know, even though we were in addiction, we got really close. Um, And seeing them still out there and hurting themselves, I want to go save them and I want to go help them, but I just, it's not my place um, until they ask me for help. And then it, you know, then it's like, yeah, come on, I'll give you all the information. Here's what I did. Here's what I can, you know, phone numbers I can give you. Here's the media I can give you. Here's, I can help you get into rehab. Like, what do you want? But until they're ready, it's just not, I don't, I don't think it'll happen. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's harsh. It's harsh. It, or it seems like, it seems like I'm telling you to not love your kid. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but. Because as, as parents, that's the instinct, <clears throat> isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Y'all have three. It's to do everything for them and give them the world. So we have a saying for that. Um, you know, obviously, you don't want them to hit too hard and die at the bottom. And so you, you put that safety net up. But that's, in a way, you know, they're not going to get sober. Like I was saying, I was literally loving them to death. Mm. Because you either love them so much that they never get clean and sober, and they overdose and die, or they go to prison, or you know, oh, that's it harsh, ends Rachel. <laughs> but it's—I mean, you're right. Yeah. This is that you're—if you're doing that, you're loving them to death. My word. Well, that just it's changed. hard to think of it that way. But. Well, that just changed the whole figure of speech for me. Yeah. Now I'll never hear that again without thinking about y'all in this conversation. <laughs> Goodness. Addiction's not pretty for anybody. It's 
not for either side yeah the the reality is we have zero control and uh and and the sooner that i and for me too um the reality of no control how we talk about our big book the big book is aa book truthfully all of the aa book is founded on the bible mm-hmm. they just took biblical principles and put them in different words uh, a new a different translation if you will and um what was i going to say i lost my train of thought it's all right <laughs> he has a quick forgetter yes he does you know what else <laughs> 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 exactly <laughs> um no and oh, i remember all right <laughs> uh in the big book talks about um how we like to play the actor we like to play in life we like to play the actor we like to play the director we like to play the light crew we like to play every single part so that we can control life so that we can be comfortable i always subconsciously my sin nature just i i I just gravitate towards trying to control everything so that i can be comfortable example if that person would just act this way i wouldn't have to do this if if my parents would just leave me alone i could do this if they were if they would just let me show up a little bit late i mean i was only 10 minutes late why'd they have to fire me you know it it goes back to me trying to control everything and the sooner i let go of control god can start working Mm. you should uh, talk about the reference you say a couple times would you let god take this from me Oh, yeah, I, I was thinking about recently, um, it kind of hit me like, you know, in my addiction, I used to say, God, take this from me. This being my alcoholism, just take this from me. And what I was, and what he's saying is, um, you got to give it. What I was really asking him to do was not take it from me, but steal it from me. Mm. I want to hold on to it. But just rip it out of my hands. And he said, I'm not going to. I'll take it. But I'm not going to steal it. Got to give it up. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, I held on for a long time. Yeah. And I guess it's true with all addicts. They hold on longer than they would like. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, that's essentially what rock bottom is. It's a place nobody wants to be. Mm-hmm. And if it, you know, something that's uh, always just made me think, like, they say it's a physical dependency. Well, that, that is true. Like, you know, you wake up in the mornings with the shakes or you can't walk because you haven't had a hit yet. Um, the, the physical dependency is real. But if that's true, if, that, if that's only true, why do people go back once they've been sober for a couple months or maybe a couple years? Why don't you just stop? Yeah. Why don't you just stop? Because I'm an addict. (laughs) I can't. Because there's also an an emotional dependency too. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to uh, why do I, why do I, there's this physical, we call it an allergy. There is this physical allergy where if I take one, this phenomenon of craving kicks in that I cannot control. That's why we say uh, one's too many and one's not enough. 
because when I have one, I want more, and one's too many because I've gone too far. One's too many and a thousand's not enough. Had to fix them. <laughs> my wife fixes me. <laughs> Basically. What were you saying before that? I lost my train of thought again. My forgetter kicked in. You said the same wrong. That's I wrong. know, before that. What uh, were you saying? My forgetter forgot. Yep. <laughs> this is why we're married. <laughs> It's better in meetings when I can like talk for five minutes and then I'm done. Otherwise, I'll start forgetting what yep. I'm saying. So, I got a question for y'all. Okay. Take me through a meeting. If I've never been to a meeting before, sure. or is it supposed to be a surprise for the fir- for first-timers? There's It's in TV scenes. It's not a surprise. You can look up on YouTube and you'll probably find a meeting. But the only difference is, from what you see on TV, not everyone's depressed. There's yeah. laughter. And there's life. There's joy. It's crazy. Oh, that's good to know. I did not know that. Oh, dude. It is. It's so intoxicating. I remember my first meeting ever. Like, I sat down. There's been two times in my life I thought to myself, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. When I took my first drink, I thought, this Mm. is it. This is what I've been looking for. And my first meeting. And because I walked in there and I saw life. And I saw people loving each other. And, like, just fellowship and uh it was like man i'm you know i want this yeah that's that's what i want not what i've been doing i want that but yeah you you come in sitting usually a circle sometimes you just sit in um chairs are not in a circle but uh you'll read the opening paper it's a page out of the big book then everybody will introduce ourselves i'm rachel i'm an addict I'm Spencer. I'm an alcoholic. And then so on. And then the chair quote basically is the person who's coming up with the topic. And it'll be out of the big book or something. Or um, A topic would be, you know, let go and let God. Something like that. There's a million topics. Yeah, step-based. They can pick a yeah. step and that could be the topic. Step one or step three. Step four and step one are pretty popular. And they share um, for five to ten minutes, I guess, and then you go around the room and everybody shares their story based on that topic, like what, how they relate to it. And so you learn a lot, you relate a lot, it is... And you get heard. Yeah, you're heard, you're understood, yeah. And then we say Lord's Prayer, the meeting's over. So when when we were saying earlier, like, there's not much teaching going on, because there really isn't. It, no one's taking stuff and like teaching at people I may say topic today is powerlessness and then I'll talk about how we talk about experience strength and hope my experience is I wasn't powerless what it was like what it's like now I wasn't powerless I figured that out at this time and then here's how I deal with it now here's how life is great now for me and it seems almost prideful but when I talk about me and then they talk about them then they talk about themselves no one feels taught at and no one feels judged and you get to hear other people's stories and you say hey he put he put my life into words that I could never talk about I couldn't put it into words my feelings and he did that's how I feel and then boom what you felt starts to lose power you feel heard and you feel family and so we're real big about there's no teaching because 
um, yeah, well, it works. It's like if I have a problem with getting angry, I don't know how to handle it. You know, I need—I can't figure it out on my own because my knowledge just isn't up. It's not that great <laughs> uh, with basic human life skills, <laughs> which sucks. But say I get angry <laughs> about something, and it happens pretty often. I don't know how to deal with it. I go to a meeting. Somebody's talking about, well, yeah, this, I used to get angry over my wife or my husband doing this, or I don't know, just at life. And here's what I did. And here's what it's like now. Okay, I just learned something. And in the rooms, it's crazy how much you'll relate to people's stories. And you learn how to manage, how to live life on life's terms. It's really inspiring, I guess. And I remember what I was going to say earlier. And, <clears throat> and, and adding on to your point, like, why do we drink? We say we've got this allergy, and it's like, I like to, I ain't gonna lie, I like to be drunk. I mean, it feels good. But uh, the real reason I drank, and the real reason that um, it became such a crutch, is because I went through life so scared out of my mind of everyone. I mean, social anxiety to the max. I couldn't, you know. And then I also resented people, and I held resentments in my heart. And um, and I just didn't know how to put words to emotions. I didn't like emotions. I wanted, I just wanted to be numb because I could not handle life. Life was just too much, and it's just it's moving fast. And I'm I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just gonna numb. So it, there is this physical allergy that when I take one, that craving takes over. But the, we talk about it this way. Alcohol is not my problem. Alcohol was my solution. My problem was life. And I've got to, when you take away the alcohol, you've taken away my solution. And now I've got to deal with myself and deal with life. And I don't know how to do that. And that's what we've learned in these rooms is how to do that. And now we're not perfect, but um, and we talk and we talk about it this way too. There's nothing. Um, I've got. I'll have five years, God willing, of sobriety this summer. But there's nothing different between me and a person that's coming in for the first time, other than I bounce back from stuff just a little bit quicker. I've still got the same problems that he does. Pride selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all our problems i've still got all that but the only difference is i get i can have an awareness and pick up on it quicker i can hit that pause button a little bit quicker and that just comes from experience and 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 trying to implement these principles in all my affairs constantly and trying to work the steps as best as i can try to be as honest as i can and that's when I see life, that's when I find purpose, fulfillment, joy, and God's working man. When I get out of the way, God, it's just crazy what God can do. Anyway, so um, there's not, and that's, that's the magic that we find in the meetings. And, and we talk about, too, like, okay, well, you can find that in church. True, absolutely true, and we do. But before I got sober, I didn't. 
Not because the church didn't have those people or that, that magic. God was there. But I was still trying to tell him to steal it from me. You know what I mean? I wasn't ready to hear anything. I was, I was ready to numb and I wasn't ready to be social. I mean, I've got, in order for me to grow, I've got to get outside my comfort zone. And I wasn't doing that when I was drunk. So it's not that church didn't work. I just didn't work for church. I didn't work for it. Um, so I needed, Rachel says it all the time, God sent me to AA and AA sent me to God. We found God in those rooms. And we find God in church too. And we find God in our family and he's all around. Um, but it took meetings, AA meetings for us, for me, um, in order to start that journey. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. When people say, I think I asked Laura this, and I think I asked Kyle, and I want to ask y'all, because um, I hear ministers bring this up a lot, and I've heard people, when, when people say we all have an addiction, mm -hmm. is that, number one, is that is that fair to, how do I say this next part? Is it fair to recovering addicts? Um, and, and number two, does that help or, or hinder um, the relationships between the church and people and community and the addicts that attend within the congregation? I think addiction, um, whether it be something strong like uh, hard drugs or something that seems uh, innocent like shopping, you know, shopping or sugar or it, it can be anything um it's all an addiction um some some just carry less consequences yeah. and i think and i don't think it's unfair to say you know oh i've got a true addiction or i've got a true alcoholism they don't get it or no i don't i don't think i think it's totally fair to say that alcoholism addic and yeah. addiction is not just drugs and alcohol related. I've actually had someone talk to me about a sugar addiction. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's talk about it. How, how can I help? Like, even though they don't, they never did meth, <laughs> it's still an addiction. Yeah. We can treat it the same way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I spend all day sneaking candy out of the cabinet, which sometimes I do, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, <laughs> if it's it's going to come with less consequences than if I spend all day on Pornhub. You mm -hmm. know, it's they're both addictions. But I just I don't think my husband would want to divorce me if I just ate some candy. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know. No, that's it. Jim Jim said it best. A few I guess it's been a few months ago now that uh, some addictions are more socially acceptable than others. Oh yeah. 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 And that's, and that's, that's what that's what we, we tend to forget. Um, even though I'm sober, when people hear that I am a recovering addict, I still get <coughs> still get some weird looks and sometimes they'll say something that it just irks me, but that's fine. It's just and I wanna ask, you said it, what irks you? What are some things that people say? 
who don't understand the irk show. So the worst thing I've heard about addicts. She's about to go off, isn't she? The, uh, this one actually. Take off, Rachel. The worst thing I've heard about, heard somebody say about addicts is they've screwed up so much, they're just going to go burn in hell. Oh, oh wow. And I was like, I should hit you right now. I really should. I should just turn show around. Show you an addict. I'll show you how bad I am. I'll just turn around and charge at you. Tackle you. I, I was I was livid when I oh, heard that. Oh, my word. Ooh. I haven't heard that one. Oh. It was, it was not a pleasant day. But I... I don't know. I guess it's just um, <laughs> people don't understand. <laughs> I said something. And I'm trying to think who I said this to. And I said it jokingly. And they made a statement jokingly that stuck with me the rest of my life. Um, I said something to the effect of, that's going to get you sent to hell. And it was this girl I was in college with and She looked at me and said, and I'll see you there for judging me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's funny. <laughs> oh, my. That's not true, first of all, for those of you listening. Grace <laughs> is real, and it is abundant, and it is good. All right, Spencer, what are some things you've heard that irk you that people say about addicts? Honestly, I really haven't heard anything that irks me that people say about addicts. I'm sure there's some judgment out there. that, it, But I understand where it comes from, just misunderstanding. And or they've had bad experiences with alcoholics and addicts and i'm like yeah i get that if i'd be mm. upset too if i had me as in my life <laughs> you know i'd <laughs> say the same Spencer. yeah i'd say the same thing i probably wouldn't like me either i know i wouldn't and uh and and the other th- but one of the ones that i find comical and we laughed about it earlier is when people are like why don't you just stop I, i'll tell you a funny story i was with uh I was working at Tropical Smoothie in Maumelle, and I was taking a coworker home, and uh, I always kept my whiskey in my truck, which is terrible. Terrible. Don't do that. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I had my whiskey in my truck, and when the person was getting out, they were like, um, "Why do you have your? Why do you have whiskey in your truck? Like just a bottle of whiskey?" And uh, I said, "Cause I'm an alcoholic." And she was like, "Well, then why don't you quit?" And I was like. Because I'm an alcoholic. Like, what do you mean? Quit? That doesn't. Quitting an alcoholic does not go hand in hand. So I, th- I thought that was funny. Yeah. People just like that, you know, the story. They just don't understand. Um, like, I don't understand a porn addiction because I've never been addicted to porn. Now, I would assume that you would you know, take similar steps because it's addiction. But I just don't, I don't, I wouldn't know what to say to someone if they came to me. I could share my story. That's about as much as I can do. Um, but I don't, that's not my area of expertise, I guess. I just, it's, some people don't understand. And we say recovery is for everybody too because it's not just people in the, in the just because our solution is different, we've, we've all got a life problem. We all need God for the exact same reasons because we're, we're just inclined to be selfish and we need community, we need God. And so we say a lot like, oh, they just need to get drunk so they can get sober. You know? Yeah. Because um, 
we just want to share what we found and we found community we found fellowship and we found purpose and we've and what's i'm so grateful for is the fact that god could see me you know the the verse that says while we we're yet sinners he still loved christ loved us and that is so true because while i was drunk god said i'm going to use him i'm going to i can use that yeah. and i and it, it it honestly brings me to tears sometimes when i think about it because the amount of uh, purpose and fulfillment that I feel in life right now is, is, is I'm so grateful for it. So grateful for it. And uh, that's all God, 100%. Yeah. I tried it on my own, it didn't work. We've talked about it before. When I first came into the meeting, I was thinking, um, okay, this is gonna get me to stop smoking dope. I thought that's all it was. Like, I just need to quit drinking alcohol. I just need to quit smoking dope. Then, you know, that's what this meeting is going to do. It did that. But then, I, you know, after I quit smoking dope, I learned how to live life and enjoy it. Mm. That is a huge thing for me. Like, I like myself today. I talk about, talk about it all the time. I didn't like myself back then. I hated living with myself. I was the person I had to go to sleep with every night. And I hated that. Because I couldn't. I had so much guilt and shame and everything, but I, you know, I, I hit it. I used the drugs of the blanket to cover it up so nobody could see it. Um, and today I don't have to live like that. I, I like living with myself. I enjoy life. I enjoy every day, you know, day-to-day basis. Um, the decisions I make, I don't have to be ashamed of them anymore. It's, I'm not anything like the person I used to be not even a 360 it's the opposite sides of the world you mm-hmm. know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no the 360 is how it starts mm-hmm. or not 360 that's just a circle the 180 is how it oh, starts yeah and then the uh, you walk toward God mm-hmm. and then you turn around and look at what all he has taken you out of and it's powerful stuff yeah so how did you two fall in love very instantly. quickly. Instantly. <laughs> so y'all met in in a meeting and you instantly fell in love. So here's well, maybe what not happened. that first meeting. That first meeting, I, well no for a, a couple meetings. I had mentioned I was a minor and so my mom basically made me come. Um I didn't want to be there. And so I would literally be in meeting like I don't, I don't want to be here. I'm not going to quit smoking dope. I don't want to get sober. Da da da. Um, high, high. I, yeah, yeah like high. I was high <laughs> in the meetings. <laughs> That's so bad. I was coming to AA meetings high on dope. Sometimes with dope in my pocket. So um, I obviously was not ready. At the same time, I didn't want to be ready. It works if you work it. Um, so it, it took a minute for me to get sober. But then once I did get sober, I swear I asked this man. 10 times to hang out with me. I was going to get one day out of him. And that's all it took. Spen- so you went after Spencer. Oh, and Spencer yeah. said no. Spencer, why'd you, you say yes? He never said no. I never said no. He would just say yes and then not text me. <sighs> I don't know about that. That's <laughs> yeah. not what I remember. So, Spencer, why'd you know texting her? Because she's fine. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> 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 you 
he, he was trying to follow the one year rule. Oh yeah, my sponsor <laughs> told me no dating, no interaction with uh, uh, the opposite sex for uh, a whole year, and I stuck to it. But uh, and then so she had uh, the one time I remember her asking me out. I said yes because it was to Starbucks. True or false? Okay, I thought you were gonna tell the tea story, but oh. No, that's that's funny. She popped some tea in her eye, and I laughed, and she w ran away. <laughs> he made fun of me. Oh, that was trying to ask you on a date. <laughs> pop, wait, pop some tea in your eye. The like, peace tea, like you know when you tip it up and then you put it down too fast, it could pop up, <laughs> and it went straight in my eye. And I just went. <laughs> she ran away. <laughs> Still resentful of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny. Man, it, it's been great. It's been, and we just had our three-year anniversary yeah. last week. Third-year anniversary and third kid. Yeah. yeah, just a few months ago. Yeah, yeah in January. True. Nolan. Yeah, it's crazy. And I want to bring up real quick how great being in recovery with and married to somebody that in recovery how great that is yeah because i think that's honestly the success behind well god but god is recovery so when i say recovery i'm talking about god but like the that, 12 steps is <coughs> out of the bible yeah. yeah it is and that's i think the success behind how great our marriage has been so far because um, we we take our principles and what we learned into our marriage and I stay out of her recovery and she stays out of my recovery and uh, it's it's been awesome I like, wanna, oh sorry we've talked about it like if we weren't in recovery we were still, I don't think we'd like each other yeah, it wouldn't have worked <laughs> we would sure. not like each other not because of like we see things now but just because of who we were yeah back then those two people back then would not have well for one they wouldn't have been looking for marriage no so so oh, i was gonna ask y'all something and then i forgot um my forgetter's working too it was after i was talking about how we think the success behind our marriage is no it was it was it was after that but you said that she used to have her recovery mm -hmm. and she stays out of your recovery yeah why is that important because if we do if i get in her recovery i'm trying to control her yeah mm -hmm. anytime i try to control anything it's not good because that's spencer's will and when i try to control the play you know i was saying earlier it starts to go bad so, I, so, it's so what does that look like, getting in each other's recovery? Because now I'm also thinking of people listening who are married to mm -hmm. addicts. So here would be an example. This has never happened with us, but um, if, you know, we've been fighting and we're arguing about something, I'm not going to start nitpicking everything that he's doing in his life. Well, here's what you didn't do the dishes today. You didn't make your bed and hit your knees, and that's why you're being a butthole. And da da, -da and you need to call your sponsor. We're, I'm not gonna oh, go there. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's that's. Uh, it's it's using the recovery as a weapon in an argument. Yeah. As a dangerous zone. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know that it's just not good if we start nitpicking and like trying to say, well, you could be better if you just talk to this about your sponsor or this. You know, it's not. Her recovery is none of my business. Yeah. And it's... 100%. Wow. 
we there's a couple sayings you know stay in your own lane and controlling from your nose back mm-hmm. I everything from here back I can control I can control my reactions uh, my decisions that type of stuff but anything you do I can't control so I can't let it affect me because if I if I want to control you and I have expectations that this situation is going to go this way is that it goes that way I'm going to get frustrated because I didn't get my way and then nobody's happy if that makes sense it does make sense. So why would I self-sabotage by trying to control a situation and having, you know, unrealistic expectations? That's yeah, then it's on saying, me. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah. And I think a lot of it, too, uh, we think about it as an it being um, whose fault it is, whatever it is, whose fault. Uh, we like to picture it as a pie chart. And what I've learned personally is even if 99% of that pie chart is Rachel and I've got 1% sliver, that negates me getting to blame anything on the 99% because I've got to own that 1%. And I've never, not once, had a situation where I didn't at least have 1%. And that's with marriage, life, anything. If we have a saying, if I'm upset, it's my fault, no matter what. And to summarize your Pachard analogy, into the words of Jesus, um, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. My word, that's brilliant. Well, we've been recording for right at, I think, close to 57 minutes. Mm. Uh, do y'all have any final thoughts before we close? Rachel? Um... If you're struggling with addiction, in my experience, I guess I'll say, uh, don't try to do it by yourself because very rarely that works. It's not shameful to reach out and ask for help. That's the first step in the right direction. Um, So just, yeah. Spencer? Uh, I just want, if anyone's out there that uh, wants to get plugged in, we've got ways. We've got a meeting here at Northside on Monday night. It's a closed meeting, so if you're an addict and alcoholic, you're always welcome. You don't have to be sober to show up, as long as someone drives you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It it starts at 6.30, and we don't have a time limit on it. Usually it stops about 7.30. And then we have our Bible class on Sunday mornings. Um, That is an open meeting where support people can show up, Um, and that's at 9. And then we also have a meeting Thursday um, at Geyer Springs Baptist Church and that starts at 6 um, and then that one also has an Al-Anon meeting that goes on at the exact same time so if you have a son in uh, addiction or alcoholism and he wants to get sober both of y'all have a place to go at 6 o'clock um, and please don't hesitate to reach out uh, yeah can I put my phone number out there? if you want to so my phone number is 501 295 six five two three call me anytime i ain't gonna lie if i'm asleep i'm probably not gonna answer just leave a message um and uh yeah so reach out if you don't live in the area there is you can download an app called the meeting is it meeting chair it's called meeting chair yeah and it's uh a blue icon with the chair 
and um, you put in your location and it'll tell you all the AA meetings in your area. You'd be surprised on how many meetings are anywhere, around you. Anywhere, anywhere you're at. If you go to Paris for the weekend, if you're if you got that much money and you go to Paris for the weekend, you can open that up and it'll tell you where an AA meeting is. Well, yeah. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't cost a lot of money to get to Paris, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you could say that. Well, hey, thank y'all so much for being here. Absolutely. And for sitting down with me. I'm, I'm glad we I tried to get them on the podcast. We've been working on this for two months now. <laughs> yeah. And we, we finally got time. Uh, but thank y'all for coming in. Um, Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And thank y'all for listening. Um, if you have any questions, once again, you can email them to cbradford at northsidecofc.info. That's cbradford at northsidecofc.info. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And remember, they were together and had all things in common.